Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, there's just a bit of CMO action happening in some of Australia's biggest and oldest media companies. Seven announced last December that it had poached high-profile Optus CMO Mel Hopkins to join the group in the same capacity. And it followed an announcement last June by Nine CEO Mike Sneesby to appoint the media company's first group-wide CMO in Liana Dubois. The two appointments will be loaded with competitive tension, but they could also be good for the category. So on the mics today is the first of media's new CMO breed, Liana Dubois, who has for the past six months been getting under the hood of a diverse, fragmented and certainly siloed marketing structure and strategy across Nine's assets in broadcast TV and radio, publishing and a broad lineup of digital assets. Although it's easy to think media is primarily a B2B marketing play, i.e. think trade marketing, Liana's biggest job is actually in consumer land, getting people to sign up to Nine's subscription services, including Stan, luring more people to linear TV shows, radio programs, publishing mastheads, and video on demand. Nine's combined marketing budget should put it among the country's biggest. We'll try to get to the bottom of that, so wish me luck. And Liana hints there is some significant changes which will become evident in the next few months for how Nine goes to market. So let's get to it. Enough from me. Welcome, Leanna Dubois. I am busting to find out a few things, and here's hoping we can. Um, first, um, let's get some context. You were previously running uh, Nine's Power Division, which was a B2B play selling Nine's assets to agencies and brands. Now you've got a, a bit of that, but there's a big agenda to drive growth for Nine with the people, the masses, if you like. Um, it's a very different agenda, Leanna. What was the rationale for a group CMO role, and what have you figured out so far? Let's hear it all. Let's jump straight in, shall we? Um, yes. Look, before I get to rationale, I'll just pick up on one of your earlier points that it is really different. So stepping into the group CMO role is very different to that of running the hot pink machine that was powered. Yes. I handed those reins over to Nikki Kenyon uh, just a few months ago now. So she stepped into to running powered here at nine. But as I say, stepping into the first group CMO role is very, very different to that. And the role um, itself really spans the entire house of brands from Total Television, as you picked up in your intro, to Total Audio, uh, including live streaming and podcast, Total Publishing, and also our marketplaces. Mm-hmm. What I think I've figured out in my first six months that, that is, despite being in a business for near on a decade, there can still be a lot of things you don't know, all of which is very fun to explore. <laughs> so we can talk about a few of those things oh, today. Yeah, I'm, busting, I'm busting to find out the two <laughs> biggest things you didn't know, Liana. <laughs> Well, you did ask me about the rationale. So before we get into anything further, Mm. you know, if I think about the transformation that Nine as an organisation has been on uh, over the last sort of six, seven years, uh, particularly through the M&A activity with Fairfax and Macquarie Radio, you know, we are now a a really transformed and significantly different organisation. And so, you know, today as Australia's media company, our house of brands really has something for almost everyone, almost either in a B2C setting or a B2B market. Nine has always and continues to believe in marketing-led growth. And so I guess it was time to create a role for our future. Right. And that role, that was at the the, the conversations were with CEO Mike Sneesby and yourself, and I'm sure he sort of scouted beyond, but that's where it started, right? It was at, at that CEO level going, we need to do something at a group level. 
So Mike himself is a, is a big believer in marketing-led growth and the power of um, content, technology and marketing to really propel a business like ours forward. Uh, and so Mike and I had a number of conversations around around that sort of philosophy and, you know, whether, whether we thought that this was a, a match made in heaven, which we do. We should talk about how Nine uh, was structured in its marketing activities and people before the group role was uh, created and what's changed. So lots of different media units with their own marketing teams doing their own thing. Is that what it looked like prior to you landing, Liana, and what's what do you want it to look like? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, if we think about the M&A activity that's taken place over recent years, it's probably unsurprising that there were still some silos that remained um, in a number of functions and the marketing function really is no different. So the structure was quite siloed previously. Today, we have what I'm going to call a hybrid structure that essentially sees vertical brand specialism alongside uh, centralised group specialty. So, for example, it's always easier to grapple something with examples. Probably unsurprisingly, we have brand specialists for our television brands, our radio brands, our publishing brands, marketplaces, etc. But they work right alongside the group function, which has specialism in things like uh, audience insights or something like in-house media, something like trade marketing that you referenced before, um, or data, etc. So there's there's a hybrid approach with vertical specialism and um, group specialism. And that's new. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of like to keep the brand specialists, and this won't this won't be a surprise to any other marketer out there that's running a house of brands. We like to keep the brand specialism aligned, kind of vertically and close to the core brand so that they're really deeply embedded into what that particular brand means to its consumer um, and, importantly, how it shows up. But I think the power of group function, you know, in some of those areas that I talked about really enables things like efficiency and effectiveness to be accessed right across the group. Okay. And so is there any further centralised functions you think you're going to build out in the coming 12 months? What, what does it look like in another 12 months? Uh, I think that's a great question. I think, you know, one, one thing that I've always tried to do is um, not to be too presumptive in my thoughts and views of the world, but rather observe where we go. And so I think, you know, observing how our organisation and how the market and how the consumer evolves over the next 12 months will really, you know, start to indicate whether there would be any further changes on the, on the horizon. Okay, great tap dance, Liliana. I guess the next question is, how big is your team? Like I'm trying to get a sense of Nine's a big player now, big consumer player, big brand, house of brands. How many people? What what have you had to corral as this new consolidated team? And I know you know where I'm headed with this. <laughs> I do, I do. What I love is that the boys always want to know how how big something is. It's fascinating to me. Um, what I'm what, what I'm more interested. I'm also equal. In we well, I'm interested in the sophistication too. I'll get to that. <laughs> Look, in terms in terms of resource, you know, team wise. I would say for the scale of our outfit, we're actually an incredibly efficient um, team at a consolidated level, whether that's in the vertical specialist groups or in kind of a group a group function. We are, from a resource, a resource point of view, but really quite efficient. Sadly, I think where you're going next is then to ask me about the size of my budget, mm. which, um, and the which you're also probably not, probably not going to get lucky on today. Um, mm. But what I would say is this, if we think about there being three types of media that make up the promotional element for any marketer in a marketing campaign, those three types of media being paid, Mm -hmm. owned, and earned. As a media business, 
you know, our, our owned media footprint is actually very different to that of most other marketers, certainly to a, a marketer that's not running a media business. So right. our owned capability is our assets that span that huge that huge footprint that we have. So we're a media business of a certain scale with media channels that span total TV, total audio, total publishing and marketplaces. And of course, it'd be unsurprising to anyone that we have the ability to use our own assets to cross-promote our brands. That said, we do also go off-platform and we do that to look for uh, light, lapsed or new consumers if we don't feel we have them at scale. And typically that that off-platform, would that sit somewhere 5 to 15% of, of your activity? You really are on a fishing expedition today, aren't you? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a small part, would it be fair to say? We, we have the benefit of being able to utilise our on-platform media assets, which are of scale, and then really looking to supplement assets where we need to. Mm. Give us a use case of where that historically has happened and do you think that will change a little bit in terms of using off-platform um, media assets to target or talk to light, as you say, light users or um, lapsed? Yeah, look, difficult to answer on today, but what I would say is I'm always looking for the ways to optimise and to iterate the efficacy of the marketing campaigns that we are putting into market. You know, that may mean looking at how we come out to culture, you know, kind of break beyond borders and come out and play with the community and take our brands to the streets. It could include a a range of different things, but tough to answer today, PMAC, Mm. but always looking for ways to optimise and iterate. Well, I'm assuming that the fact that you're staying on platform with your cross-promotional activities between different media assets is that it does work. So I see, you know, I'm a regular, I'm a Sydney Morning Herald subscriber, for instance, and a Financial Review subscriber, Mm -hmm. and, and, and. Thank you. Um, I see a lot of, yes, I do try. Um, I do see a lot of Stan ads, for instance, uh, in your publishing mastheads with big ad formats and lots of call to action as well in the content funnel. Clearly, it's working. Is that your biggest driver? Is your own assets the biggest driver for Stan's customers, for instance, because that's just something that I see in front of me as a reader? Well, our targeting is obviously working, but what <laughs> I think what's interesting is, you know, who'd have thought that advertising works and that advertising on traditional or what it can sometimes be known as traditional platforms work? Right. Um, the way that we go about it, um, not too dissimilar to others in that we look at each individual brand the consumer segment that we're looking to target for that brand, whether that is reminding the core or looking for light, lapsed or new users. And then we go about looking across our platforms as to where we could have most success in being able to to grow those audiences. So whether it's television assets on publishing assets or publishing assets on television or radio somewhere in, in, in there as well, it really depends on the brand the consumer and the segmentation work that's been done as to where they we, we would most effectively utilise our assets. Diving into that data now that you've got visibility on it for six to seven months, any interesting surprises there on channels that are driving better outcomes for certain assets versus others? What Any learnings in there in terms of the media mix that clearly your marketing peers are also looking to use you for? You've just got, you know, you've just got them at, at your disposal, as you say, in an owned media capacity. Uh, any learnings in terms of channel mix and efficacy? Look, we've done a lot of work. Or I've done a lot of work in, in my prior role empowered on media efficacy and having a look at not only our assets, but also having a look at, you know, off-network assets, whether that's social or the like. So I would say from our perspective, there aren't too many surprises in terms of the power of television to grow brands and to shift products, the power of radio, particularly in and around the retail space, 
and the power of publishing when it comes to sort of trusted environments where the likes of you might consider investing in a stand subscription, but... I'm not a lap subscriber to stand, by the way, just saying. No. So maybe our targeting strategy with you is to uh, show you some of the new shows that are coming down the pipe so that you spend more time with us. Right. So from a channel mix point of view, as I've said previously, it really depends on brand, on consumer and on the segmentation work that we've done. But we are utilising our channels to either grow brand at its most fundamental for long-term sustainable growth or right the way through the funnel all the way down to acquisition drivers and so forth. Okay. I do want to get to just this broader notion before we dive a bit further into some of the things you're doing. There's some big things coming, I, I believe. We could expect it's going to get really interesting. I, I mentioned at the top with, with Mel Hopkins from Optus uh, starting at seven in the same role. It could get pretty interesting there, right? And good for the category, you think, having two group CMOs taking it perhaps a lot more uh, aggressively than, than these companies have in the past. What does it mean? And, and you know, you're in for, a, in for a little bit of a stoush. Oh, well, it, it, interesting. I hope interesting is an interesting word. I certainly do hope it gets interesting. You know, I think over the next 12 to 24 months, all marketers will be tested yet again. Mm. And you know what? I've always thought a little friendly competition can only be good for a category. So I'm really looking forward to it. You know, having worked with Mel in the past, she is a wonderful marketer and media is an incredible category. So, you know, long may it get interesting. Uh, I think from for nine the next 12 months in particular for us, as we head towards our first Olympics under our new agreement, mm. heading to Paris in 2024, where we kick off being the Olympic Media Network here in Australia all the way through until Brisbane 2032, means that things are, you know, they feel very exciting and very interesting to me. But not just in terms of what we're doing over here in Nine as we as we prep for, for that huge global platform to land here on Australian shores, but in terms of what this whole industry is doing and is capable of. Well, you do just get to the Olympics and let's get to what you've got brewing in coming months with Nine because you have been sort of bubbling away on a big grand plan of what the overall strategy um, for Nine is going to be. I think we've touched in our earlier conversations on this that one of the early examples of what you've done in the marketing team is centralised and overhaul the essentially the agenda of uh, Audience Insights, for instance, where they may have just been uh, essentially about the TV execs and TV audience people looking at TV and that's it. But you're going for something broader here in terms of culture and... Yeah, absolutely. For, for me, Audience Insights does much more than, you know, have a look at audience ratings or impressions or even, you know, our data ecosystem and those sorts of things. But for me, what sits at the core of Audience Insights is actually understanding culture and it's understanding the Australian population, which we act in the service of, whether it's to entertain them, to inform them, to educate them, etc., you and I, Mac, have talked a lot over the years about the art versus science of marketing mm. or even kind of things like instinct versus insight. I'm a firm believer in in all of it working together. At the end of the day, there kind of is no silver bullet. There's no singular answer. So I, I do believe in sort of this notion of art and science, instinct and insight, all making very, very good buddies when it comes to developing business strategy, content strategy and marketing strategy. We're pretty fortunate at Nine. We do have a really deep pedigree, humbly, in content creation across all of our platforms and our brands. You know, we've, we've done it for a really long time. Our most mature asset in publishing is about 190 years of age. Mm. Radio is roughly 95 and telly's about 67 odd. So on, on an average basis, you know, we've got about 100, 117 years of kind of content experience here. 
So we're using that content pedigree and those instincts and now partnering it up with cultural trends and audience insights that go well beyond really understanding how many people consume something, but increasingly why they would or why they did. Mm. And that really is helping us to learn and evolve over time. You know, I think a lot, in fact, what wakes me up at two o'clock in the morning usually is how we will ensure that Nines brands continue to mean as much to the Australian population in the next average 117 as they have for the past 117. That's ultimately the mission. Mm. Let's get to, you talked about the science and the art. And you've been a big advocate uh, for creativity. We'll get to that in a moment. But in terms of using, so you've been on the other side saying, well, you know, marketing and, and media and advertising effectiveness comes down to things like, you know, we see um, extra share of voice or we see the long and short from Burnett and Field or we see attention measurement or Ehrenberg Bass and talking to all category buyers, staying in market all the time, all those things yep. that, you know, we, we talk about. Are you going to apply this to your own remit now? And, and how does that look? So there is absolutely nothing more certain than good marketing science, smarts, academia, those sorts of things will always hold weight with me as they always have. And I think importantly, we can always learn more. You know, this marketing is in some ways an ancient craft and yet it continues to evolve as we all learn more through the years and the decades. So I remain a big believer in science coupled up with creativity and big ideas and I believe that's how we will grow creativity in all of its definitions, not just the ad that you make, but creativity in all of its definitions remains for me the absolute superpower in how businesses grow. Right. And I'm going to ask you what that, you know, how that rolls out for you. But for instance, when you talk about marketing earlier being, you know, the growth engine for the nine group, can marketing, uh, for instance, solve an audience decline challenge in linear television as an example, right? So we hear that marketing either can slow decline uh, or it can hasten growth. In the case of where you've got a product challenge where people are consuming differently, is it reasonable or unreasonable to expect that you and your team can help um, uh, address what is probably a structural issue with the market and how it consumes content? I think that's a really great, great question. Where I would probably start is over the past decade, the Australian population has grown by some 15%. We're in a growth market and I believe that consumers will want more content in more places as the years roll on. And so I believe using the powers of content that we've talked about or product, if that's what you want to call it, tech, things like CX and, you know, product technologies and ag technologies and those sorts of things and marketing that there is a bright, bright future for media organisations. But importantly, it is product or content, tech and marketing together that are the three levers for growth in any organisation. Mm. And so I get that, but can that be applied to a structural challenge in something like linear television? We, we talk a lot about total television and the transition from when you talk about linear television, you're really talking about people consuming television through an antenna. Yep. And when we talk about total television, we're talking about the incremental audiences that are added when you consume television content or video content via the Wi-Fi. Okay. So I believe the future of total television is bright, but it will be total television. There will be a natural transition over time. Mm. 
And so does that mean your energies are focused on the total TV growth number, not so much down in sort of a particular part of total TV? So your attention and focus and activity will be on something beyond getting audiences to a linear show, although you'll probably have to do that as well in the meantime, in in the interim. Honestly, it's a total strategy. Mm. The gold standard of marketing video content is to get as many people to consume your video content as is humanly possible. Kind of doesn't matter where they consume it. If they consume it via their antenna, the way that still a lot of people do today, or they consume it via their Wi-Fi, either through their connected television, their desktop or their mobile phone, the core goal is to get as many people as is humanly possible consuming total television, total audio, total publishing or our marketplaces. So does that mean the mix and allocation of what you've done historically and say driving audiences to a big tentpole program in, in linear of, via the antenna changes a bit in, you know, in coming 12 months, 18 months, 20 months, where you take a different, does your mix change because of that broader total TV agenda, for instance, in TV, sorry, total audience for TV. And the same goes for radio, digital and broadcast there too. Good question. And as I mentioned before, it's always difficult to, we'd all love to be able to say in 12 months time what any changes or any sort of new strategies might need to be. But I believe we have to watch and observe and audit and optimise what we're currently doing and probably test a few things along the way to see, you know, what changes might be required. But I think it would be quite knee-jerk to have a look back at every every prior plan in place and, and flip it on its head and do something completely in reverse. I think there are absolutely iterations that can be made, will absolutely evolve as consumer trends evolve. And, you know, we'll see in the next few months kind of what that what that looks like. No, I hope so. So if we think about, you know, the, the earlier conversation about where you mix, uh, you balance the, the brand investment for the nine group and its key media assets and mastheads and brands and driving, you know, driving tactical expeditions for a jolt to a television show launch or a, a BVOD show or a stand show or a new radio program. Where's that all coming, washing up for you in terms of that brand versus, you know, tactical short-term stuff? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. We have over recent years become quite retail-oriented or product-oriented. And so I would hazard a guess that there's just an opportunity to balance the way that we're thinking about brand uh, or to relook at the way that we're thinking about brand and, uh, and product or retail marketing. And is that for your individual assets or at a group level? So does nine, will, will we see nine become more, is there a master strategy for the nine brand as a halo to go through to your different media assets? Is I am trying here and I'm just um, like, it's it's really interesting stuff, right? It's, it's classic big marketing strategy and I'm just trying to get you to carve that up a bit. Yeah, no, sure. So nine as in the word N-I-N-E mm. or the nine entertainment mm. company is our AXX, ASX listed company is our is our corporate brand uh it shows up in in the trade environment which you'd be very you know used to yeah it shows up at at things like the upfronts and those sorts of things but it is very much a corporate brand and so when we think about the brands that are consumer facing or might be in the b2b market but not the trade market like the fin review for example we think about them very much as standalone brands yeah right so you're going to invest in both or is it going to be the will nine get more of a play to the masses as a brand or it's going to be the assets so a huge part of the success of Nine's 
brands have been the fact that they are individualized brands that have a relationship with their consumer, whether it's an AFR audience, it's a Love Island audience, it's a 2GB audience, etc. So mm. it's really important for us to be able to deliver audiences at scale to have you know, a brand that can be for almost everybody, but everybody's different. So there has to be something different and unique for Australians to be able to tap into because what floats my boat doesn't float yours and vice versa. Mm. So the nine corporate brands will continue to show up in the trade landscape or corporately from an ASX point of view and the like, um, but not in terms of the consumer market. Okay, so the brand investment you're talking about is brands down at an asset level, down in your publishing divisions, your radio divisions, your television, your digital. That's where brand will become. Will you invest more in brand at that level? That's one of the things that we're looking at at the moment in terms of auditing how we've been operating in the past and what we might need to look to in the future. That's definitely, you know, one of the conversations that is that is very much alive and well. But I think, you know, it's it can often be quite tricky for us to separate in a world like Nine to separate the corporate brand from the consumer brand because really that corporate brand doesn't really mean much to Australia, if anything. And, in fact, it's, you know, the channel brands or the product brands, mm. uh, et cetera. So that's how we segment and differentiate the different audiences that each of those brands attracts and, you know, the type of consumer that is consuming those things. Just like if you think about some of the other parent brands that exist in the market, that they might have been heard of, but they don't actually mean that much in terms of making a consumer consume the the product. Brands like a Unilever or a P&G or a Meta, for example, you know, mm. they're, they're kind of parent company brands, whereas the consumer-facing brands are what sits beneath. Okay, that's where you're sitting. So let's get to, you know, you've teased earlier about some changes that may we may see Nine coming to market in coming months. Do you want to talk through what that could no, actually, what is it? <laughs> let's just let's not beat around the bush. What let's are you doing? Let's not beat around the bush. You never beat around the bush. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is, and that again will be unsurprising to you. But look, 2023 is going to be a year of evolution for Nine. There is nothing more certain about it. As I mentioned, sort of earlier on, I think up front, all marketers are going to be tested again this year. And my hope, to be honest, for all of us is that we can navigate and get through what we believe and what we know will create more commercial value for our organisations using the superpower of creativity and marketing-led growth. And that's all I'm going to give you, Paul McIntyre. Okay, so budgets are holding then? Your own budgets? Nine believes in marketing-led growth. Okay. So in order to you know continue to attract the audiences that we do today or to grow them into the future, investment into Things like marketing into content and into technology are important, notwithstanding fiscal responsibility is is clearly also important for everybody to manage through. If we were just to put a finger in the air and go, hunch, you would be in the top 30 to 50 advertisers, marketers, would that be a sort of fair and reasonable on that band? She says she's smiling at me. I thought we talked about the fact that we weren't going <laughs> to Oh, that's right, I did, this. but that's a really broad range. So top 50, would you be top 100? It's a really broad range. I'm so I'm sure we'd be in and around there somewhere, Paul. Creativity, Liana Dubois. You have talked for a long time about the need for brands to be creative. You're right, just not in comms, but across the board and everything they do from CXE to tech and to ideas that aren't just advertising focused. So are you going to walk the talk on this? Because now you you can encourage, you've encouraged others to do it. Now you've got the uh, the remit to do it yourself. What? How creative are we going to see 9B? And what does that mean? 
(laughs) Creativity is the absolute differentiator. And as we've spoken about before, not just in terms of the ads that are created to promote products or services, it's creativity is much broader than that. It spans things like content. It spans things like technology. It spans how you show up in culture beyond promotion and advertising. You can't see my feet, Hmm. but if you could, you would see that my feet are covered in a reasonably creative pair of pumps. Right. And these pumps were made for walking. So stay tuned. Uh, okay, so that's a big confirm we're going to get creative, but I'm not telling you how yet. Does that, but that does mean in your communications and in what products or how you go to market? Is it sort of is it the communication we're going to see the first instance of this, how you present to, to the masses? Not necessarily, but as I said, creativity to me means more than, although it includes the way that you show up in communications and, and advertising and the like. But really, you know, creativity will be fed through everything that we do inside the marketing function, working right alongside the incredible colleagues that we have in content and also in technology. So noticeable, so we'll see something of note in the next couple of months, do you think, Liana, then? Is that what we're watching for? Stay tuned, Paul McIntyre. So months. This year then, was that safe this year? There's <laughs> this year a whole safe. 10 months ahead of you. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of talk, obviously, in our industry about the advertising and the communications, but we know that marketing is much broader than that, right? So it includes the customer experience, it includes MarTech, it means personalization and building out all those things that uh, are wonderful in the tech stack. What is your remit or what are you thinking about? Because you, you must have 16, I think 16, 17 million names, customers, audiences in, in disparate parts of the group. You got a big audience uh, base there. What is marketing for you in a in a customer experience and personalization and those things that are non not above the line, yep. but also require great, for instance, hugely need creativity, if you like, in terms of how we deliver a user experience or a customer experience. What what are you thinking there, Liana, beyond the media? Yeah, great question. So you're right. We do have a first party data asset of scale, around twenty million signed in users across the group today. It's really important that we utilize that data transparently and responsibly, but the usage of uh, and the usage of first-party data is clearly an important uh, marketing technique to be able to utilize right across all of Nine's assets. In terms of sort of things like CX, MarTech, personalization, I don't mind saying these are things that uh, are under review at a group level to see how we might be able to be more impactful and more effective in these spaces. I'm sure I'm in very good company uh, with marketers across the board who are also on this journey. And so I think, you know, for the extraordinary data footprint that we have and the capability to use it, I think there are still some things that even we could be a little better at today. Oh, well, there's new skill sets required all round, right, for that sort of area. And, and I guess, do you think that you have the tech stack you require now or is that part of the review process you're talking about? Or what do we need to do? What systems do we need to deploy? Or do you think you've got that? That'll be part of the review, Mac. We have some still some silos in that sort of space to break down from the sort of historical platforms that have been used by some of the businesses that have now kind of combined. Mm. So it's all it's all part of the review. Gee, that, that gets juicy because that's quite a significant um, effort, that one. What sort of, in terms of marketing capability, Liana, uh, with your team, where would you say you need to ramp up most in terms of the marketing capability in your team? So that's one of the changes that we made 
over recent months was to bring in some strategy and creative capability into the marketing team to be able to deliver towards big ideas and creativity driving driving us from a marketing team. So we brought some some new roles in as part of the sort of overarching review that we did of the team. And specifically, we brought in strategy and creative capability. So in terms of the capability in that lower funnel, performance marketing, direct response, driving, you know, action now, you feel like you've got capability, sufficient capability there in your team? We have wonderful capability in the team in terms of people and the smarts that go into those things. Where we need to spend some time in review is the platforms and the tools that they're all using mm. and how those things can work can work better together. I don't mean to have every vendor on your case, but it sounds like a quite a significant review process of your technology system. So I look forward to seeing where that lands. Leanna Dubois, final question for you, and I will stop hassling to try and work out how big you are, uh, how sophisticated you are, and all those things, which we are going to see, obviously, as it plays out. Your final takeouts for you, both you and your in your peers for 2023, you've touched on a couple of them that this, this rubber's going to hit the road, you're all going to be tested. But what would you say is sort of the the big one or two things that are occupying your attention and energy for 23? Yeah, so it's really no more complex than creativity-led marketing-fueled growth and my absolute hope for the marketing community out there that we can navigate and get through all of the things that we believe and know will ultimately create more commercial value for our organizations using the superpower of those two things I just said. And the creative-led marketing-fueled growth, we will start to see evidence of that from you before the first half is over. Imagine that's still got four months. We'll get a signal, won't we? 2023 is going to be a big year. (sighs) With that, I shall retire uh, from this podcast. Leandro, I mean, look, it's a good setup for what's to come and I look forward to sort of, you know, knuckling down on some of the work that you're going to deploy and see if it makes a difference because your point lots of people talk about creativity for example as a differentiator not a lot of it often seen um so let's see what you do good luck and i'll keep hustling thank you always nice to talk to you mac thanks for having me this mi3 audio edition was presented by paul mcintyre that's more producer nick slater music by matt dwyer For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.